Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex and landed episode number 194. Nino, I'm going to get through books so much quicker now without looking for Wally. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Just fine. I'm tired. I am too. <laughs> been a long week. I'm not. Holly had uh, clinicals last night, so she didn't get home till again until nearly four in the morning. So oh, wow. I stayed up all night, but then we didn't have anything to do today, so I stayed uh, we just her and I just slept in all morning. Kids left us alone. So nice. Did you yep. Anything else fun this week? Uh, we went to a family reunion in Kansas City yesterday for Holly's family. So that we was have a lot of family reunions. Fun. We do, don't we? Check, check, check. <laughs> I sounded very distant, so I was just checking. Oh, okay, I'm okay. <laughs> Come closer to the microphone. Uh, this this time it was Holly's family. So uh, uh, that's um, different. Yeah, just went to Kansas City. Went to Heritage Park. Kids played on the playground. Is it really a reunion if it happens every year? Yeah, that's more than I see some of my family. (laughs) It's a reunion with one year. Or some of you family, for that matter. We reunionize (laughs) once a year. We don't. We don't do. We don't have a chance to do Holly's family that much because sometimes, like last year's, was in South Carolina, Mm. and we just weren't able to make it down there. About every other or every third year, they're in Kansas City, so. Oh, then that makes sense. You rotate locations. Yes, more so. yes. Okay. Now, my parents' family, because they all live in Kansas, the rotating locations is like between Hutchison, Wichita, and Topeka. <laughs> so those aren't so bad. That's why we managed to get to more of those yeah, things than sense. anything. So. That was it. I didn't do anything else. Huh. Sean, what'd you do? Uh, the question isn't, what did I do? The question is, what didn't I do? What didn't you do? I have to, Well, I didn't go to space this week. That's about it. That would have been fun. <laughs> So Keith, um, what did you do? <laughs> we we had a very very full week, uh, a lot of work, um, and um, a lot of school because <clears throat> we're getting to that point where we need to do stuff. And then we uh, we did a lot of stuff for Mel's birthday this weekend. Not the least of which was uh, paint therapy uncorked, which if you're not familiar is a little uh, place here in town where um, you BYOB. And uh, snacks and food and whatnot. And Bring your own booze? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And That's then, the uh, uncorked part. The, you, you, oh, unco- you, oh, okay. you pay your 35 bucks wine. to get in because it's a private party, which is how they can get away with the BYOB. Because oh. I thought, there's no way you can do this legally. There's got to be a thing for that. <laughs> He's going to steal my soul. <laughs> and, <laughs> do you have any left? A few. <laughs> I owe them others to, that you've borrowed. I owe them to other people, uh. but yeah. Um, but uh, you pay your thirty-five dollars and you get in, and they give you a a, a canvas, and then uh, the idea is you go and you pick a painting that's already done, and then you recreate that painting. And I went into it very much with the mindset of, well, I'm not going to play ball with that because why would I want to paint somebody else's painting? I want to come paint my painting. So I kind of went into it. People kept asking me, "What are you going to do? What are you going to do?" And realistically, I had it in my head from the get-go that I was going to do a TARDIS. You know, oh. something cool. Um, but then I got there, and I was surrounded by paint and brushes and stuff. And it was like, oh, I could do a Bob Ross. I could do mountains and happy little <laughs> happy trees. Little trees. <laughs> you know. 
And I was frozen for about 10 minutes with this great indecision <laughs> as I stared at the canvas going, let it go, let and it go. then I painted a TARDIS. So <laughs> I like the background. I see it. Thank you. And there it is. is. It looks really good. I like it. It, does. it looks like you know, something I note? would hang on my wall. Boxes are hard. I'll say that. Is that going to be the name? Well, boxes are hard. <laughs> I think in the style of painting, it, the, the, I'm glad that the, bo- that the lines aren't like exactly straight. Yeah. Just because of the style that it's done. Well, I, uh, I, I cheated by giving it that motion blur effect so that you wouldn't be able to tell that it wasn't an exact It's flying through yeah. space. But, uh, yeah. So I it's looked, not going through time. It's going through space. Just space. Or it's, or it's moving between time, the red, and green space. I caught it or no, right. This is space, so this would be like forward in time, and this would be backwards in time. Yeah. It's like the RTD era yeah. opening sequence yeah, where you go. come yeah. out in space right. and then go back into the time vortex. Right, right. This is the in-between time. So I, I put my years and years and years of watching Bob Ross to good use. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I you came did a good up, job. I came, I came be, up with a painting. So. Sean, that will be worth thousands when you're dead. <laughs> it's worth a buck now. <laughs> well, I, I would think it's worth at least thirty-five for you know the materials, uh, <laughs> supplies. But uh, yeah, so we did that, and I think it came. I've already had people. Hey, I'd hang that on my walls. So it's like oh, I man. just said that. I've already had people tell me that. Besides you, besides you, other than you, <sighs> in addition to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so now I've decided that I, I'll have to go back and do. Uh, I would totally do this again. By the way, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I've decided that I'll have to go back and now do a whole icon series. <laughs> so I'll, I'll do the Enterprise next time, and and then maybe a Stargate or or a, a, the DeLorean, Ooh, or you know, I just I'll just do a whole bunch of them. The Firefly, Ooh. or Serenity, yeah. But uh, so for my first one, eventually I'll get around to painting a mountain and some happy little trees. <laughs> once you get done with your icon, once, once I get done with the icon series. <laughs> but we did that, and uh, Mel and I, we we. we did a whole marathon of movies this week. Um, we watched the Grand Budapest Hotel, which was delightful and funny and I've wonderful. I've heard really good things about that. I, I've been scared off of, uh, what's the director's name? Uh, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. I really like Wes Anderson's stuff, but I, I loved Rushmore, and I, I really liked Royal Tenenbaums, and despite its really oddball, kind of out of left field, I really liked Life Aquatic. I think part of why I like Life Aquatic is the soundtrack. That could be. It's got a great David soundtrack. David Bowie in Portuguese? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand times yes. But um, then I saw Darjeeling Unlimited, and I really hated it. Nothing happened. It was the slowest moving movie ever. It was just it was just a snooze fest. It was boring. And so I haven't gone in and seen any of the other ones recently. But I'd heard really good things about Grand Budapest. And so I uh, had Mel watch the trailer, and she's like, because I, I kind of brought it home with me on the understanding that, well, if you don't want to watch this one, I'll watch it when you're at work, you know, but if you're interested. So I made her watch the trench. She goes, oh, hell yeah, I'd watch that. So I was like, okay. So we got together with a friend and watched that one, and we had a good time. It was a lot of fun. And then uh, what else did we do? We watched um, Jack Reacher. Was that any good? It was actually surprisingly pretty good. Um, once again, I, I want to throw a, a plea out there to movie studios to not name things after people. <laughs> Because unless you were uh, in the know that this was based on the I'm sure a fan of the novel, the Lee Child novels, the Jack Reacher books, the, the name Jack Reacher means zero to me. And you read the back of it, and it's something about this international espionage plot and a horrific terrorist event, and there's only one man that can stop it. Jack Reacher's like, well, okay, that still didn't tell me anything about this movie. It's just <laughs> you know, all I know is it's a fairly generic action flick with Tom Cruise in it. 
and it was pretty good. Um, it, it's definitely one that I would go back and watch again at some point. So it was it was enjoyable. But again, the title does the name thing still apply to Jack Ryan? Yeah, quite not. Well, the, you get a little bit of bonus points there because it's Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. So you at least you've added something to it that lends it. But I don't like the name Jack Ryan either. I wouldn't have called it that. <laughs> but that's just, that's just me. Well, we, we discussed John Carter. Oh, yeah. Which turns out to be a great movie. But, you know, nobody went to see it. Why? Because nobody knows who the heck John Carter they is. They dropped off the Of Mars. <laughs> and then we watched um, The Love Punch which was a very fun little movie. It just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's got uh, Pierce Brosnan and Emma Thompson, who play a divorced couple, who get along much better divorced than they ever did when they were married. And he's selling the company, and it uh, turns out that the Shell Corporation that bought his company actually planned to run it into the ground and uh, make off with everybody's pensions. Mm-hmm. The, the whole thing was just a sham, just to, to, to steal the finances. Um, well, the guy that bought it is this very horrible Frenchman, and um, he has uh, recently announced his engagement and bought his fiancée a $10 million diamond. Oof. And so they get the idea that, well, that's our retirement. We should go steal it. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarity ensues, because these are not this, this is not Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. This is Pierce Brosnan as aging through his back out today playing golf retired <laughs> you know not a, a, a spy and uh, the, the two of them team up with their friends and neighbors um, uh, Timothy Spall who played um, Wormtail in the Harry Potter movies yeah that sounds right who's hysterical in this and his wife uh, or, or uh, who portrayed his wife and I can't remember her name but it finally dawned on me about midway through the movie it's Miss Kislet from uh, the Bells of St. John Oh, okay. She was hysterical. Hmm. So there are a couple moments in the film that it felt like they were maybe reaching a little too hard for the laugh early on. But once they got the ball rolling and actually put this grand mad plot into to, to motion to steal this diamond, it, it got really good. It was very funny. Hmm. And it was just a thoroughly enjoyable little farce. And then we took Katrina out for How to Train Your Dragon 2 and saw it over at the Cheap Theater. And was that your was, first viewing? That was my first viewing of it. And I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was really good. Um, and once again, it, it just kind of illustrates how you can kind of take those those chances in animation with doing something that might be a little different, yeah, but still make it good and and uh, and fun. Letting an animated film kind of grow up a little bit, yeah, yeah, good example of that, yeah. And then uh, so we had Mel's birthday party Friday night. And we had Katrina's birthday party. Um, today and uh we're out at the park and running around and uh it is with no end of, of gleeful pleasure that uh, i report that our presents were the only ones she played with the whole time at the <laughs> birthday party so good job grandpa <laughs> and there's a whole heap of homework waiting for me at home that i didn't do because of all that so <laughs> always fun uh inspired by robot of sherwood uh, after I got caught up in my shows that I've been watching, including The Leftovers, it's over. This season, at least. The Gary Busey show? He did not show up. <laughs> in fact, so I read... we still don't know where Gary's at. No, no we don't. I, in fact, I read a, a thing in Entertainment Weekly that made me think one thing, and it turned out that wasn't what happened in the episode. Oh. Yeah, what I told you about didn't happen. That's cool. It's very different. 
It, it happens. Good? It's phew, it put the whole town. It's like because it, mostly focuses around this whole town. Mm-hmm. Puts this whole town in like upheaval, and there's been this cult that's been going on, and their entire complex is now on fire, and that's just kind of where they leave it. It's so. It did you like that? I did. You liked I did. that it was different. I, than I liked how it ended. Oh, I, I was really worried with what I read, but what they did. It it made all the pieces fall into place from the previous season, or, or what what happened throughout the season of what the heck is this cult doing? Blah blah blah, and it clicks in the final episode. So it's one of those you got to stick through it. Do you think season. by now you would know better than to read things? Well, I didn't mean to. <laughs> I was I was just looking through the Entertainment Weekly, I'm like oh, <laughs> Kirk dies. And I've also started watching The Intruders, or just Intruders. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. It's kind of weird. This is the new revamp of the old 60s show and not the 60s show that you're watching, right? This is based off a novel starring John Sims. Um, okay, not the same. Not the same. <laughs> it's, it, it airs after BBC. Or after, uh, it airs Doctor after Who. BBC. It airs after BBC. BBC. It airs after Sands Doctor Who. And The Intruders comes up. Here's that Doctor Who what on a BBC great concept. America. This ends our programming day. <laughs> and then another show starts. <laughs> the Intruders. I would totally watch that. I would stick around for that and just go, wow. What are the intruding on? Unfortunately, this I don't know if I'll stick around for. It, I think it's only eight episodes this season, so I'm almost halfway there. I've watched three. So I might just kind of... From what I know about the book, it's interesting ideas, but they haven't really trade that in the show yet mm. so it's kind of like uh so anyways, anyway you, you were inspired I, I, by I was inspired I watched the Disney's Robin Hood yay yeah it's been a really long time since I watched that it was a but lot you more. had seen it I had seen it it's just been like 10 years eons. or so eons uh a lot better than I remembered it and then the next night that's what you call pulling it back and letting it go PJ <laughs> that's a quick one too oh yeah it was really quick uh the next night oh, Although my PlayStation decided to dump me off the internet and not reconnect. So I had to switch over to the Wii for a while and fight with the PlayStation to get it working. Uh, the next night, I watched Robin Hood Men in Tights. The only two Robin Hood movies available say, to me. I'd say those, those were the two you'd already seen, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> it inspired you me to go said, watch what I knew. It was two available to him, so... Readily available without running over to your house. I have at least one more <laughs> that you can watch. See, I don't know if... I, I remember seeing Prince of Thieves and not being impressed. So... I like it. I, I wanted to... I tried and searched on Amazon and a couple other sources to try to find the... Um, I just blanked on his name. Errol, Errol Flynn. Flynn. Versions and couldn't. And I wanted... I was going to go to the library this weekend, but didn't make t- have time I to. I bet they'd have. And I was going to look for it there. You own it, don't you, man? Do you not own the uh, Rock the Errol Flynn? I think I have it on DVD. Hmm. I might want to borrow it from me then, because I've never seen that one. You know which one I did not like? No. Uh, that Russell Crowe one. Oh, I, I wasn't even giving that one a shot. Yeah, don't. It's boring. <laughs> even if that was available to me, I wouldn't have watched uh, it. How, 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 how do you make a Robin Hood story boring? Well, they found a way. <laughs> uh, and then we had dinner with my mom for her birthday. Uh, good old Paisano's. Italian food. Yummy. Yeah, and then today we went to the Royals game, and I got quite a bit of sun. So I'm <laughs> you all, look a little pink I'm, now I'm that you've red. said that. Yeah, it was really it was a really nice day to sit out there, and then the sun came out, and it's like, Ugh. and there wasn't a breeze. The Royals lost, but that's okay. Mike and Sarah were rooting for the Red Sox anyway, so 
it was kind of, it made the end of the game kind of act anticlimactic because the Red Sox won, but there's no big celebration because it's the home, they're not the home team. Oh, spoilers. And so we wander away and left. I guess I take that off my DVD. Right <laughs> there were some really great moments in it. Actually, the end of the game was really kind of a nail-biting ending because it was eight to four, Red Sox. But the bases were loaded, and it got down to two balls, or three balls and one strike, or two strikes. So it was pretty much, if he was able to hit it or make a home run, we could go into extra innings. But What's it going to be, kid, hero or goat? <laughs> goat. Goat. <laughs> so they lost eight to four, and like the four Royals scores were in the third inning. Those typical Royals, if you watch a lot of their games. <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's been a kind of quiet, but today was exhausting. It's surprising how tiring it is to sit in a stadium and with the sun beating down on you. <laughs> Even though you don't exhausting. do much, it's, you just sit there and it's just tiring. It is exhausting. All right, well, let's move on to news. Some sad news. we got to put on our 10 o'clock news hats. Jane Baker has passed away. Of the Pippin Jane of fame. Pippin Jane Baker. Fame. Uh, let's see. Of course, they were best known for writing 11 episodes of the series, including creating Kato, uh, the Ronnie and uh, Mel. They created Mel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wrote the last story of the tri- uh, Trial of Time Lord series, um, which is escaping me now. What's the name of that story? The um... oh, you would ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mysterious planet, Terror of the Vervoids. Ultimate something. Ultimate, Ultimate foe. foe. Thank you. Good job, Keith. Thanks. I remember part of it. <laughs> uh, they also wrote Terror of the Vervoids. Yeah. And created the Vervoids. And Time of the Ronnie. Yeah, he said that. Well, they created. Ronnie. Ronnie. Created the Ronnie. They also. Oh, create! I thought you said they created, but they also wrote those episodes. Well, they wrote Mark of the Ronnie, too. Yeah. I don't see what... Uh, uh, it's not list the cause of death on this uh, article I'm reading. So our thoughts go to uh, Pip. I'm sure it's a sad time for him. And the rest of his family. And their family. And for the Who community. She was... Uh, I think she was a good addition. I think so, too. It's pretty cool that they could... They were married and could write together. Yeah. Well, and there weren't too many female writers in the classic there series. Really so, yeah. even in the modern series, there's not a whole lot either. So, the fact that she was a female writer was nothing to shake a stick at. No, certainly not. And that's it for news. Yep. All right. Let's move on then to feedback. Listen. Do you believe there's a monster? Hiding underneath the bed Whoa Closer Won't you whisper in my ear Tell me words I want to hear All in your feedback Ooh. Very nice, Sean That came to me on the way over here I wasn't going to do it <laughs> All of a sudden it was like ah. We haven't had one for a while, so it's a special treat. So a special treat for you. Wait, Wait to the moods after the yeah. somber news. First up in feedback is 
Alex. Alex writes, A Moffat masterpiece, but probably not the one you were expecting. <laughs> hey guys, Alex here. I'll be keeping it brief today because I've got quite a bit of family, quite a lot of family business to attend to, but having just finished watching Listen, I really wanted to weigh in on my thought, with my thoughts. This episode was not at all what I expected it to be. I went into Listen expecting a very tightly written, story-driven episode in the vein of some of Moffat's earlier work, i.e. The Empty Child or The Silence in the Library, with lots of twists and turns and novel sci-fi concepts utilized in ingenious ways. Instead, we got an episode driven by characters and ideas that explored an aspect of Doctor Who that we haven't really addressed before, as is the running theme of this, this series, it seems, and also explored the idea of fear itself. It was, in many ways, the opposite of what you might call a traditional Moffat story. Rather than taking the extraordinary statues, shadows, ticking clocks, and making it scary, he took a universal fear and made it into something comforting. A superpower. The central idea here, the concept of you're never truly alone, is a spectacular one. You could probably carry an entire TV series on the back on that on the back of that concept. There's so much to be explored and discussed. Once you raise the idea of the silent companion as the doctor does, despite the wonderful way in which the story was resolved, I'm almost upset that the perfect hiders weren't really there after all. Finding out what they were and what they would want or what they would do when everybody was dead would have been incredibly interesting. In fact, I suspect part of the reason Moffat went with the ending he did was because he knew that the, the answers to those questions could never be as fascinating as the questions themselves. Then there's the character explanation on display here. The Doctor's I-need-to-know attitude throughout the story was wonderful. I think we should have more stories where the Doctor is proactively searching for something rather than reacting to a threat. In particular, Capaldi's opening monologue was impressive in all aspects, writing, directing, and acting, it's my favorite scene in the series so far by a long shot. The, well, what would you do to an empty TARDIS made the hairs on the back of my neck stick up. Or was that something else? The exploration of Clara, this series, also continues to delight me. I liked how we fleshed out Danny Pink a little more as well. Hell, the A-plot of this episode is probably Clara's date. With the Doctor investigations all being framed around the assorted pinks from different points in history. Another thing I loved about this episode was how structurally different it felt from a normal Doctor Who story. There's no villain here, there's not even a, any real conflict. In retrospect, it's just a series of conversations between a couple of people who are afraid of the dark, chasing shadows and hiding behind closed doors. But despite that, it never feels slow or anything less than immensely suspenseful. Finally, I thought Clara's closing monologue about fear was rather poetic, and certainly it looked at the show's long-running aim of scaring children in a direct, different light. The numerous references to the past in those final moments were appreciated too. From the line, Fear makes companions of all of us, quoting an earthly child, to more recent reoccurrence of never cruel or cowardly. Admittedly, I felt that making the link between the barn in Day of the Doctor was perhaps a little too self-referential, and I questioned the possibility of the TARDIS arriving in the Doctor's childhood with as much ease as it did. The time lock <coughs> must still exist in some form, or else the Doctor would be able to go back and visit Gallifrey's past. Also, how was the TARDIS able to land there? Was that particular planet not time-locked? 
you think it would be, seeing how influential some of the events that took place there were. This wasn't mass- a massive issue with me, just a small niggling doubt. Okay, I lied when I said I would be brief. I just had a lot to say about this one. I love this story. Looking forward to hearing what everyone else has to say about it. Or should that be listening to what everyone else has to say about it? Happy traveling, Alex. P.S. Mark and I aren't planning our feedbacks in advance, I promise. (laughs) We just got a strange mental link, perhaps a psychic bridge formed as a side effect of the mystical voice of Sean in our heads. Sometimes we even finish each other's... I said sometimes we even finish each other's... Oh, never mind. (laughs) Thank you, Alex. I think we'll get to some of those things in a little bit. Up next is Holly. Holly writes, Listen. Hey, guys. This was a great episode. I enjoyed the fact that there really wasn't a monster at all in the story. I have to say I'm really enjoying Danny Pink and can't wait to find out more about him. We do kind of know that he and Clara will probably be getting together if from what her trip into the future holds true. We also get to find out more about the Doctor's childhood. At least I'm assuming that was the Doctor's bed that Clara wound up under. For all we know, it could have been the Master after he looked into the Tempered Schism. Who knows how much the Master shared with the Doctor about that time. But then again, it could have been the Doctor with how he was able to repeat almost word for word what Clara told his (coughs) younger self to Danny. The whole scene in the future with Clara and the Doctor in the space station, and they hear the knocking, and the Doctor wants to open the door. I'll admit I was yelling at the TV for the Doctor not to open the door. (laughs) That knocking on doors was not a good thing for one of his previous regenerations. I'll wrap it up here. Looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts on this episode. Holly from Wisconsin. But that one wasn't... This wasn't four knocks, right? No. No. That would have been awesome if it was. Uh, no, no, it wouldn't have been awesome at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they haven't even announced the next Doctor yet. <laughs> Don't do that to us. All right. And next up, up is Chrissy. Chrissy writes, Bait and switch. Dear Vortex Boys, pursuant to your comparing the Doctors to food, here's a thought. Any of you ever seen Downton Abbey? Or anything on the Food Network. Probably not, but go with me here on this. Yes, okay. and yes, yeah, and a little say, bit. There's at least one that's seen Downton Abbey and one that's seen the Food Network. Network sure. It's been a couple of years, though. In Downton Abbey, whenever you see the kitchen servants making dinner, they always talk about one of them making the savory, which I guess is some kind of gravy-tasting main course dish. Look, I'm with Sean. My cooking repertoire <laughs> consists of mac and cheese and ramen noodles and whatever I can get from the freezer section at the grocery store. If I didn't have a microwave, I would starve. Anyway, (laughs) here's my comparison. The Twelfth Doctor is a savory dish. He's not hyped up on sugar and caffeine like 10 and 11 were. They were the dessert doctors. They like those delicious cakes on display at the grocery store bakery. They're fun and light and fluffy and everybody loves them. Unless you can't have any sugar for any number of dietary reasons, then you probably hate dessert. (laughs) But too much dessert, you're going to get a tummy ache, which is why we... Now have 12 in his Doctor Who equivalent of a savory pot roast and potatoes and gravy for Sunday dinner, or whatever you have with pot roast and potatoes and gravy. It's not super sweet and sugary, but it's still satisfying and delicious. Well, she chose to put into words what my one statement of brown gravy was. Yeah. So, <laughs> Thanks, Chrissy. Good it's, job. It's, it's not just pot roast and potatoes and gravy. It's pot roast and potatoes and brown gravy. <laughs> and she goes on to say, and now I'm hungry. <laughs> Who could go for some pot roast right now? <laughs> um. A few words on the missing episode soap opera, and then I'm going to shut up about it. 
What is it with these people who have been involved in finding missing episodes turning out to be completely and utter jack wagons? <laughs> I could say something else, but your podcast is meant to be family friendly. Well, you could say dental flaws, as <laughs> we established last week. I like jack wagons as well. I'm going to add that to the list. We all know Ian Levine's reputation, which I hear his health has been doing poorly, and I do wish him a speedy recovery in spite of my next rather honest and blunt statement for being an entitled, egotistical, self-important, blankety-blank, so-and-so. But Philip Morris? Seriously? Then again, Bleeding Cool uh, has about as much credibility as a legitimate news source as The Mirror or The Sun or Jon Stewart. They're, They're one of those that once I hear... That's where the news is coming from. I pretty much ignore everything else being said. So ignore that entire paragraph because they've proven before just how reliable a news source they are, which isn't very much. I just had to get that out of my system. Enough rehashing old stuff. Time to look at something new. Listen, what I love most about the episode is that it was teased as a typical Stephen Moffat story of something fairly ordinary turning into something absolutely terrifying. But, what, what, but that wasn't the story at all. Uh, there was no monster under the bed or no creepy weird thing lurking in the dark. It ultimately became a story about fear, more importantly about the doctor's relationship with fear. That he's always going to be afraid, but it's okay to be afraid, and fear can actually make you brave and motivate you to be better than you are. The episode is a beautiful character study of the doctor, but you don't realize that's what you're watching until Clara gives her little speech to Little Doctor at the end. I love that. I love that Moffat has taken... Oh, I'm sorry. Instead, you're waiting for the big monster reveal, and surprise, it's not coming. I love that, and I love that Moffat has taken one of his tried-and-true tropes in Doctor Who and completely turned it on its head. I love that we got the surprise after all this build-up. It takes a lot of guts to do something new when you're used to the same old stuff, but Moffat pulled it off. Not just pulled it off, but pulled it off well. Even after a second viewing, I don't care that I don't know who or what was under the blanket in Rupert's room. I don't care that I don't know what was outside Orson's spaceship door, because those things are not important to the overall story. The story is about fear in the general sense and how we deal with fear. That's the message here, and I think it's done brilliantly. I also loved Clara and Danny's never-ending constant redo of a date. I guess that's what you get when you date a time traveler. (laughs) <laughs> They're both so endearingly awkward. I also love the doctor asking Clara and Donnie and excuse me, Danny, and offering to go. For, oh, I'm sorry about Danny, and offering to go forward in time to see his prospects, like an over overprotective father or older older brother. The whole thing was really cute, and then Clara hugs the doctor at the end while he's protesting the whole time. <laughs> they just have a great relationship. There were other things I loved about this episode, but I'm sure other po- people will point them out. Goodness knows there were plenty to love. So I'll let them do that and close this up here. Have a great week. And Sean, nice TARDIS painting. I saw that on Facebook. It was really quite good. Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. <laughs> For her comments on your painting. Sean, Sean, Sean stepped away the from the table as we were reading this, so... I was trying to make it sound like Ta- Sean heard what you said, Chrissy. So. Oh, here I see it. Nice TARDIS painting. I saw really <laughs> Thank you. Up next. I get a lot of nasty glares from people. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you're talented. And I'm like, no. 
So that's why I don't think I can do it, because I've tried painting and my brain just doesn't work in a way that I can paint stuff. It's just a lot of this. And I can do, you know, X's. I watched Bob Ross. I just did X's. I can capture images. I can't create images. Anyways, continuing on in feedback, Mark sent us some audio. He did. And let's give that a listen. Hello, gents. This is Mark from the UK, the Robin Hood hater from last week's feedback. I'm still not convinced by that episode. Um, I guess... I'm just uh, a bit jaded about the whole legend and having grown up with it and people asking me about it all the time. And when I see it, it just, it's corny to me. But I suppose we all have our own things that we don't like. Um, Anyway, the reason for this feedback, and I apologise if you've covered some of this in the show already. I've not had a chance to get all the way through it yet. The commute to and from work isn't uh, that long. And if I didn't tell you this, um, record this stuff now, I'll have forgotten it by the time I have finished listening to the show. So <laughs> cut out anything that's irrelevant or cut out all of it if it is all irrelevant. Anyway, for me, there's no coincidences in Moffat's Hooniverse. All the way back, he's had a thread running through in one way or the other of everything and Sometimes when you're watching his episode, it's like going through a maze. You just, you're not sure what's relevant and what will end up being relevant to the end, or even which series or season it'll end up uh, playing out. I was watching um, one of Matt Smith's episodes and I'm suddenly thinking, how did I miss all these clues the first time round? It's not until you see one of his very later episodes that you realise. I'm sorry I'm being a bit vague there. I can't quite remember which one I was watching. So these aren't really um, complete thoughts that I'm putting across here. But with the idea in mind that there's no coincidences. So far this season we've had three episodes where we've either had robots or mechanical beings or Daleks. Some sort of mechanical being um, in each episode and that will link in something I'm going to say later on also everything's been larger than life so far uh, the first episode the dinosaur the uh, side ef- uh, side effects <laughs> the uh, sound effects when the paper hit Clara and when uh, well, that was more the slapstick was over the top and out out of um, not slightly right for Doctor Who in my mind for that episode. The uh, sound effect when the Doctor was put to sleep, there was everything seemed larger than life, um, or bits of it did. Uh, and then you get to the second episode, you've got the Dalek. You're going inside and you're seeing the Dalek from a new, unique perspective, and. It, that's larger than life. There's vast expanses of space. Not what you expected. It's, it's you know, literally larger than life, the Dalek. Uh, we used to seeing the, the cramped in Dalek when the, the top's been taken off and it's been very confined. So we've literally gone in and we've got this massive world inside this Dalek. And then obviously the Robin Hood, the whole uh, thing was... Uh, 
played up. It was ha and and all that business. And Robin Hood was very much the Errol Flynn, and um, everything was over the top, and and it was almost uh, cartoonish, and 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 certain bits of the previous episodes have been almost cartoonish, uh, and I just wonder if that is relevant at all, if if that over-the-top and things being uh, slightly unreal. I know that's weird saying when it comes to Doctor Who, but I don't know. With, with Moffat, it seems that there's a re- there must be a reason for that. And if there isn't, I'm, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. <laughs> I often am when it comes to Doctor Who and uh, my crazy ideas with it. Um, Back to the robots theme. Robot of Sherwood. Everything seems unreal. They went out of the way in Robot of Sherwood to prove that it was real. But when you were wa- when watching it, it was like it doesn't seem real. And I just wonder if the Doctor was the only thing that wasn't real in that forest. I know we had the robots themselves, but. I just wonder if we've got a bit of a uh, Amy storyline going off here where she was replaced with a analogue version of herself. Think back to Deep Breath. Uh, the Doctor disappeared for a while, twice. When he did, when he dropped into the uh, the Thames and then again in the basement. I, I don't know. Is, is, is this the Doctor? Yeah, I know. I know another podcast will have a kooky idea thing for around that but and that goes into my last thing Moffat talking about his new ideas or his old ideas or new ideas or old ideas and I know that was part of a larger sentence or paragraph and there was more to it than that but with Moffat you know there's little breadcrumbs isn't there and uh, already people are talking about how it more so than, I think, under the last couple of Doctors, where, oh, that's very much that Doctor, and that's very much that Doctor, and drawing comparisons with the Doctors from the 80s, the, the in almost least popular Doctors. And isn't there a line in one of the trailers where Capaldi says, or the Doctor says something about, we're going to put this put that right? It's almost like Moffat's gone back to some old ideas that he'd like to revisit and put right. You know, not even as far back as classic who Dalek and inside the Dalek, they're almost, uh, it's almost like, okay, Dalek was good, but this is how it should have been done. This is, this is, I'm making that better. I'm fixing it. I, I don't know. It's, it's just me waffling on. And anyway, loving the show. Um, use this, don't use this. It might be too insane. Oh. Sorry, before I go, there was it Brenda talking about her granddad and how the doctor reminded her of him? Uh, yeah, I see that. I see that totally. There's almost a, with my granddad, there was almost a little bit of fear of him. Um, there was obviously love there, but there was, you know, and the way, the way he, uh, chose to be with us and raise us, well, not raise us, but it wasn't a little bit of fear and, Bit of doubt, but you always knew that he'd protect you in the end. And I think, yeah, that 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 rang true with uh, me on on that uh, comment. Anyway, 
that's uh, me finally done. Can't wait to hear the next episode. Cheers. Thanks, Mark. I guess we shouldn't nickname him Robin Hood, Mark. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I, you appreciate it. We mentioned this last week, but I, I completely understand where he's coming from as oh, far as yeah. uh, getting getting that a lot because you even alluded to the fact that the, the Wizard, Wizard of Oz, of Oz were always though. were always always compared with the Wizard of Oz and and the, the where's Toto jokes and all that kind of stuff and you know you we're not in Kansas most anymore. Of that movie isn't in. No, it's Kansas. not. But because she's from Kansas and it's bookend by Kansas, it's, yeah. that's what everybody associates. And of course, we've got just up the road, no. you know, an hour. Yeah. We've got the Oz Museum, and down in the other corner of the state, we've got Dorothy's house. And I mean, so this, the state certainly embraces embraces that and capitalizes on it a little bit, as so. much as it can. But so I, I can sympathize with that um, idea. And I, I, my my thing is, I I'm not as connected to Robin Hood as as you know. Most people, or even people that live in Nottingham or around Nottingham, and so I, I don't know. I love it. I just kind of drink it up, and as as I think somebody in New York drinks up the fact that we're from Kansas <laughs> and and there's the Wizard of Oz. You know? Well, and 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 for us who don't live in that area, it's not very often that Robin Hood stuff comes up. Really. It's true. I mean, yeah. you kind of have to seek it out. It's not very common in modern media. It's true. I don't even think they brought them into Once Upon a Time. So they did. I don't think so. Oh, not yet. Yeah. So not I mean, yet. Not, not yet. yet. So I'm sure that's on the docket. Um, Mark, Mark never ever ever apologized for no. feeling like your uh, your your feedback is. Uh, uh, scatterbrained or off the mark or, or any of that uh, <laughs> such stuff because you know well we don't either so <laughs> we're often off we're the mark often uh, <laughs> um, as far as the larger than life I wanted to address that because I I have in the back of my mind always felt the same way about this series so far um, I think that it does feel very grand and bigger than life um, I don't I don't fault it for that because I'm actually enjoying the ride however. That is something that I am afraid is Moffat's always trying to one-up himself because well, he, yeah. he has done, at least in our opinion, there's some people that don't agree and don't like Moffat, but at least in our opinion, he's always kind of wowed us along the way. And he continues, obviously, this is the most popular time for Doctor Who in the mainstream. And so I think he feels like he's having to one-up himself and... With that comes the grandeur and the bigger than life things, and and I think that that that's been at least in his mind a necessity in order to retain the popularity of Doctor Who, and especially well, kind of like when you've RTD got a brand new Doctor and when you've there. got a brand new uh, you know look and all of feel that, you and, certainly yeah. feel that you have to do that kind of thing. Well, and RTD kind of did the same thing, just in a different way. Their storytelling is different, but RTD tried to top himself season finale after season finale. So I That's mean, certainly true. Yeah. I think every showrunner pretty much tries to do that, tries to knock it out of the ballpark every time. And sometimes by the end you miss, like the end of time. I, I, I do think <laughs> Listen takes it back a little bit. I don't think Listen is as grandiose as the other three were. Right, and it sounds like that maybe Mark hadn't gotten that yeah, far when he yeah. had this... Uh, but that's so, the only caveat I would say. I would I would concur with you guys. That's the only caveat I have. Although I would think, and obviously we'll talk about this a little more in, in our review of, of uh, Listen, but I think that Listen even had elements of Bigger Than Life in it as well. 
not as much. Bigger not than as life obvious. ideas. Yeah, yeah. But and not grandeur. I can also see it falling in with the idea of, of, of kind of revisiting some of the ideas and, and, and as, as Mark pointed out, trying to improve upon them. The idea of going to the end of the universe. And I kind of thought, well, we've already been there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Are we on Utopia? I mean, this is... Well, but... Also, I got the impression, though, that, I mean, we've, yeah, we've been to the end of the universe, but this is it. This is last man standing. Whereas yeah. we still had people, there we still, still people had humankind, yeah. we still had all of those different elements. So, to me, this is one step even further. This is, like, it. This is when there's nothing else. Last planet in the universe, that kind of thing. So. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mark. And maybe we'll touch on some more... Uh, Ideas that you presented in your uh, feedback uh, when we start our review. And thank you so much for writing in. We love the accent, and we love that you love the show. Yes. <laughs> uh, up next is you Megan. Vocaline in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Megan writes, hey guys, it's been a while. I had been busy. Uh, I had a busy summer, so I fell off the Vortex wagon for a bit, and I'm currently catching up. One main thing that keeps me busy was my trip to the UK. Yes, I spent a few weeks traveling to the British countryside and had an incredible time. I spent a large amount of time in London, took up took a train up to Cardiff, then Glasgow, then Edinburgh. And yes, I went to the Doctor Who experience while in Cardiff. Woohoo! I they had the console from an adventure in space and time, Pertwee's console, the RTD console, Bessie, and so many props and costumes it astounded me. You even got to take a trip in Matt Smith's original TARDIS during the experience portion. I hear they've since shut down and are currently stripping it of the 11th Doctor and putting it in Capaldi. So I'm very happy I was lucky enough to have my Doctor guide me through my first trip. That makes me sad. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Should have gone over there sooner. I know. Anyway, that's enough about me and my happenings. On to eight more doctors before he makes it over there. (laughs) (laughs) Might be on to the next (laughs) twelfth. On to actual televised Doctor Who. I missed the first three weeks, so here's a summary of how I felt. Deep breath. I love forty-five minutes worth of it. Left Capaldi from the word shush. (laughs) Into the Daleks. Into the Dalek. I really liked it, especially the Doctor giving a new context to the original the Dalek story, and how he defined himself against the Daleks. Robot of Sherwood. Romps and can't oh, be... you a- get that one right, but you say <laughs> into the Daleks. <laughs> I, must, I think I was looking ahead to the Daleks, oh, and that's okay. how I... Yeah. I get you. I'm making a point of saying Robot of Sherwood, because that's the title. <laughs> As Sean turns into an ice warrior. Robot <laughs> of Sherwood. Romps and campy episodes are very hit or miss with me, but I really love this one. I'm sure some people are being rubbed the wrong way by this doctor's prickly and abrasive nature, but it's really working for me. Especially because he keeps being called out on it by Clara, slapping him last week, telling him to shut up tons of time this week. I feel like they may be going for the kind of character arc originally planned for the sixth doctor, so I'm betting 12 will thaw out a bit as time goes on. Okay, listen. Okay. Let's talk about that last bit first. I personally loved it. I'm sure I'll hear otherwise, but I don't quite I don't quite get why it's being called divisive. It's not like Clara was the cause of, of the doctor's decisions or told him what to do in his future like, right, so you're going to go run away with her granddaughter one day because you're 
you'll break time lord law and kidnap two human teachers etc etc <laughs> that's not to say her speech to the doctor wasn't important it clearly was and had a deep lasting impact on him but as inspiration as comfort and something to strive for and i can't see that as any other anything other than lovely and also an ontological paradox because most of her speech to the doctor was originally said to her by the doctor so the snake eats its own tail and all that. <laughs> you know, I watched the extra, and they call, <laughs> Jenna Coleman called it the Moffat Loop. The Moffat Loop. I like it. It's also been called the Burrito Effect. <laughs> <laughs> As of, what was it, last week or the week yes. before? <laughs> Peggy Sue got married gets great for that. The, 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 the Burrito Effect? What's that? <laughs> Surely I've talked about it before. I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, the rest of the episode was incredible, very creepy, and very well acted. I love the fact that we don't know whether there really was a monster on the bed or just a kid playing tricks or whether the air pressioner was making things creak or if there was something outside the door. That's so much more frightening to me, and I really appreciate the ambiguity. <coughs> so that's four and four in terms of episodes. I've, uh, for the most part, enjoyed the season's so I'm very happy indeed. I'm already a really big Capaldi fan, and I think Jenna has been knocking it out of the park. That's it for me. Sorry for the length. I can't wait to hear what you all think. Megan. Brenda, I'm sorry. I know this is not Brenda, but Brenda, I'm sorry that I can't get these guys to say Capaldi. Sorry, I'm trying. Robot. Oh, sure. <laughs> That's true. You guys are already having issues with that. So. I, think it's, I, I think better it's, let Capaldi uh, slip. I think Capaldi it's the accents. <laughs> I think, I think if we were in England and we had the phenomenal English accent, it might come out Capaldi. Or, or Scottish. No, it wouldn't come out Capaldi because everybody in England calls him Capaldi. <laughs> I think that's why we hear Capaldi. Oh, I see. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> it's our Midwestern brains. Can't translate it properly. <laughs> My babblefish is broken. And last but not least, Lisa. Lisa, Lisa writes, feedback submitted. Hello, fellow travelers in the vortex. Writing about Saturday's episode for the further adventures of Claire Oswald. <laughs> Capaldi's doing a marvelous first doctor when he's passed out while Clara flies the TARDIS using telepathy circuits to Gallifrey when the doctor was just a boy. Turns out Clara, the super companion, helps the doctor become a time lord in the first place because she says to the doctor what he said to Rupert, which is something she said to the doctor when he was a child. Okay, I like a good time loop, but seriously, rolling eyes a lot. Let's just make a list of things that Clara is responsible for regarding the Doctor. One, she saved him time and again all of his regenerations in the name of the Doctor. Two, she got the Doctors to change their own timeline time line, and not destroy Gallifrey and Day of the Doctor. Three, she got the Doctor an entire new set of regenerations just by asking for them in time of the Doctor. Four, she got the Doctor to be the Doctor again by being alive again in the snowman and the bells of St. John. Five, she saves the doctor and erases all memory of him from the Daleks in Asylum of the Daleks. Six, she saves the doctor and all of the people with her memories when the doctor could not in Rings of Akaton. Seven, Clara approaches the ice warrior and sings the song so he doesn't destroy the world in Cold War. Eight, she gets the TARDIS to go and save the doctor and hide. Nine, she uses the chair to destroy the machine in Crimson Aura when the doctor has his sonic but doesn't act. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ten, Deep Breath was all about Clara and her personal issues regarding the Doctor. She did say she was traveling with the Doctor because she fancied him in, in time of the Doctor. The episode just prior to this. 
Why is anyone surprised? She's not delighted. He's now an old guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Women are not supposed to be into that, liking attractive men or even considering that because it means you're shallow and not just human. Blah, blah, blah. And now she is why the doctor is brave despite his fears. Sigh. I suspect the doctor apparently giving Danny Pink the idea to be Dan the Soldier Man via the dream is foreshadowing of Clara giving the doctor the idea of being the doctor before he is the doctor sometime later in the series. Why not? She's responsible for everything else about the doctor. How will anyone ever be able to write a companion who comes even close to Clara regarding the doctor? She has literally done everything from making him the person he becomes to having his life because she got him a new set of regenerations. He is a hero and legend because Clara believes he is. Enough already. I get it. Clara's the best companion ever. I thought this show was Doctor Who, not Clara Oswald, traveling all of space and time with her grandfather, or whatever. Looking forward to the return of Doctor Who. Also wondering if Danny Pink is possibly an ex-unit soldier. Robots with a cross laser weapon. Are they a part of heaven or the promised land? Regarding what Rusty says at the end of Into the Dalek to the Doctor, it says, you are a good Dalek. Meaning either the Doctor is good at being a Dalek, or the Doctor is what a good Dalek would be if Daleks were good. Moffat loves English, and this is just one reason why. Wishing everyone well, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. <clears throat> it's interesting to see everything laid out like that. I hadn't really made all of those connections to how... I, I've noticed it all along, and I, I've... Uh, just just as this, but I've, I've, I just... I, I don't have the issue with it. I don't Lisa does. Um, I, I see her point I there's entirely. Her, I think she lays it out very nicely as, as to why she's having trouble with, especially this series, and, and I think she's had some re- reservations about Clara all along, even before this season, but it seems to be piling on top for her. And laying it out like this, I can completely see her, her point. However, all of these things about this, it really just feels like, to me, another evolution of the series. And... Would I want the companion to play front and center all the time? No, but I think it's it's working for this for the for this for the show as well, or show <laughs> well at this point. So, I think you could probably go through most a lot of companions and come up with a list similar. Maybe yeah, not to this know. extent. Yeah, I, but uh, I mean, at the very it, least, Rose, you could do the same thing. Yeah. Her taking in the essence of the TARDIS and uh, it, certainly to a much smaller degree. I would agree with you there. Yes, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's just. Well, well, like, I, himself. <laughs> well, again, I, I can see it. I mean, you know, Donna's the most important woman in the universe because she saved the Doctor by making that decision. Yeah. But that's once versus the multitude of of Clara's um, involvement, and it, 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 it. I don't know. I kind of I kind of see both sides of it. That I can understand why it's a little off putting that a companion has now been elevated above the Doctor in some ways. But I can also fall back on In Moffat I Trust and think that there's probably... Well, and like some of the instances you can attribute to other companions. It's, it's just saving the day. It's not big, grand things. And companions do that all the time. Well, and I think, that, I think the new series especially has been... Companions. All of, all of the writers and all of the showrunners now, I guess there's only been two, but have, have 
tried to make the companion more important to the series. Tries to make them closer to peers. Yeah, the the, the classic series didn't do that so much. It put put the Doctor way and above beyond the companions. So I think that they're all doing this. I think Moffat has been more more heavy-handed with Clara. It has been more Um, heavy-handed. It's the bigger things that I kind of go, wait a minute, a little bit more than the she saved them at the end of... Uh, Crimson Horror because she threw this, the, the chair. That's just yeah. anyone would have done that. Of course, I mean, the, the other thing that, that this does by laying this out, it just gives me more reason to wonder why there are so many people that think that Moffat doesn't like women and doesn't like <laughs> d- doesn't like to write strong companions because when you lay it out like this, it's almost like he favors Clara more than the Doctor and it seems that way. I don't think that's true, but it seems that way. And I don't see why people keep coming down saying Moffat hates women when you're, you're writing somebody that's clearly, at least in Lisa's mind, the hero. Yeah. <laughs> and and being put above the doctor. That's so, a really good point. Yeah. I don't know. I've been I've been dodging that all week because there's just been a lot of discussion out there, or not week, uh, all series, actually for the last couple of series. Um, because there's just a lot of chatter out there about how Moffat just doesn't like women. And I think we addressed this, you know, like last year when yeah. we had somebody that had, had brought up some points that I just, you know, I, I, I avoid it because not being a woman, I just, it's really it's hard not, for me to put myself in that place. It's so. not our issue. I yeah. mean, well, well it, 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 it should is, be our issue, it is, but, but it's, it's not, it's, it's hard not to something. Get a stance on it. When exactly. You're, it's hard to get inside a woman's head and yeah. say, this is why, I mean, it's great. And, there, and there are women out there that are articulating it's, it very well, and I can understand It's an understand issue to be a, su- a supportive of, it's hard to be an advocate for it as a man. Yeah, that's certainly true. All right, well, why don't we move on to our review of Listen. What scares the grand old man of time? What horrors lurk under his bed? Ghosts of the past and future crowd into the lives of the doctor and Clara, a terrified caretaker in a children's home, the last man standing in the universe, and a little boy who doesn't want to join the army. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I love this one. Loved it. Best one of season four so far in my mind. I think so, too. Yes, I would agree. I would concur with that. I, I, I think our, our feedbackers were very... Unfortunately, I, I saw Chrissy's short little snippet on Facebook before link that links before she goes to her link for her full review and saw that it was you went in expecting one thing, getting another. And so I knew that going into the episode uh, a little bit. See, I think you should learn not to read things by oh, now. I was just <laughs> scrolling through Facebook. Quit reading. Apparently I need to stop being on Quit Facebook. Quit scrolling. <laughs> Actually, I try. You know, until I see the episode, I try to avoid social I, media. I did In fact, too. I got on Facebook this morning and had 17 new <laughs> instances on Facebook of, of uh, things going on that I just had ignored. We, we started the episode, and it this issue episode tackled one of Sarah's biggest fears, and so we didn't finish it. I didn't finish it with her. We stopped it once pretty much got to the asking the question in the TARDIS, and went on and watched other stuff so she wouldn't have nightmares, and I would, I went on later to watch it, so that's why I was on Facebook before I got to finish the episode. Is Sarah planning on going back and watching? Now, now that you've now, seen now it, can you think you can recommend I, it to I, her? I, I told her what happened in it, and she's like, oh, okay, I might go watch that. <laughs> in daylight, but... <laughs> Because there were the, the, that whole bit with Rupert, I thought the entire thing was creepy. There were some Especially genuine creepy, under the bed scary moments. Yeah, all, yeah, that I thought I found creepy. What, what I, 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 I and I say this not 
not to be demeaning in any way, shape, or form, but I, I'm honestly a little surprised at the really well thought out responses from all of the guys that wrote and, and gals that wrote feedback this week from the standpoint that they pretty much ticked off everything that I would have wanted to mention about the episode from the, you know, the fact that it's not your typical Moffat story. And yet it is, it's so full of all the Moffat tropes. And I even leaned over to Mel at one point during this and said, well, that's something else now that I can put on the list. <laughs> you know, that we, we, we had, uh, you know, silence and, and, uh, Statues and the dark and snowmen and shadows and all these things that I, I'm normally afraid of or at least a little apprehensive about. And he's gone and gone, <laughs> take this. And so now it's that, oh, the thing under the bed. Great. You know, because we have. We've had, we've all been there. And so to, to take it to that extent is very much in the Moffat line. But then to completely flip it on its ear in such a way that there may not have been anything there and that it's just the character study of these characters it's just I don't have enough praise for, for this episode it's so well done well, you and the very said it well so um, if that's going to do it for this week <laughs> <laughs> I mean right, I, Keith, I'm sorry. oh just the acting in it too was out of the park from everyone I mean even Orson felt like he was a completely different character from Danny yeah the way he acted which is usually pretty hard to do I mean, just make, when it's the same actor. Yeah, when it's the same actor and it's some makeup, so you look different. But I, he just totally was. It wasn't a matter of, oh yeah, I can see him underneath the makeup. It's no, he's a different character. That's an ancestor. I like the afro. <laughs> I think Danny Pink should come to school the next day with an afro. I think that would be be good for his character. I really like how their relationship is playing out with the. You see one of them embarrassed, and it flashes back to why they're embarrassed. Like it wasn't into the Dalek of, I, I like how that structure and it feels almost more human and more realistic. That it's like, oh, this is so awkward and things aren't going well. And I read somewhere that that's one of the things that you know, having done coupling first, that Moffat really really excels at the interpersonal relationships between people, and that's just kind of one of the things that he has always written well. And whether you put that in a science fiction trapping or not, it's still boi well, uh, boiling down to the relationship issue, which he's great at. It's kind of neat, too, because we got Amy and Rory into their relationship. So now we're getting to see him do a beginning part of a relationship, yeah. which is kind of a new aspect to it. I like it. And I like Danny so far. I do, too. I, um, there, I won't lie. There's a part of me that... <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love the ambig ambiguity of the whole thing. There's a part of me that felt a little cheated that we didn't get the what is out behind the door. Not at all. Not for me. I knew it would not ever do justice to whatever. That's why I'm okay with it. Because it, it, it there's no, as, as everybody said, there's no way it could live up to your expectations. It's close encounters. You don't want to see the inside of the yeah. spaceship, even though you tell yourself you kind of sort of do. But you really don't. Because there's no way it could just let it be what it is. And there's a part of me that feels that way, that after setting up this enormously great mystery of what is this thing, that we don't if there is find anything out. At all. If there is anything at all. And we see the shape under the bed. Is it really a kid? I don't buy that it's a kid. I believe there's a monster under that bedspread. But I don't know. And I, so there's, 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 a, there's a tiny little part of me that feels a little cheated. 
But the rest of it was like, no, because I, intellectually I know I wouldn't be happy with whatever explanation and they it, came up with. And even if there is a creature, it makes sense that we don't see it because it's perfect at hiding. Yeah. See, I, I, I completely understand what you guys are saying about that, and I think that's the way that the episode is designed. However, on the flip side of that, I believe that the answer, the, the, the episode answered its own questions. I think that I came down to the conclusion that, yes... That was a ch- another child playing a joke uh, that was underneath the sheet, and yes, that was the decompression and the and the air change in the back that was causing the knock. And the reason that I come down on that entirely is because everything that that happens and progresses through the episode comes down on the side that it it is genuinely the thing that you think it is, because you're trying to talk yourself out of it being this thing that's so scary. And I think that the, the the episode answered that question in the sense that your only fear your only fear is fear. That's what you're. And that's that's fear what but you're. Fear itself. Yeah, that's what you're so scared of, and it, it's fear. And fear is something that's just you. It's not an outside force. It's something inside of you. Things cause fear, but the fear is, is is generally inside you. And I felt like the the when I came down. To the end of the episode, the way that it played out, I realized that this was a statement saying that, yes, what you rationalize that things are is usually or always what it ends up being. You know, in your house, when you hear the, the house settling, hear something knocking, it's usually the heater duct expanding or it's usually the house settling. For and you sit there and you tell yourself that, well, that's got to be this, it's got to be that. And this almost solidified that idea that, yeah, you know what, you're right. Unless there's actually a monster there that you see. It's it is this other thing. It almost does an opposite Moffat of takes the fear away. That's that's what this was. It was an opposite Moffat, I think, from beginning to end. And and I absolutely love that. So that was a conclusion I came to after the end of it. And I was like, yeah, it was it was a, definitely a kid in the bed because that's what they kept. I mean, they they told you what it was, but they kept ending that statement with, or it might not, or or it's not. You know, and there, there was always those both sides. Yeah. And so I think that the episode was designed to give you the feeling or the the unexplained elements of that. But to me, the episode itself, by trying to do that, explained itself by saying, no, it's, it really is these things that you rationalize for things to be because, you know, you're right. <laughs> the things that you think they are is absolutely what they are. And I think that the, because of the way, the way the episode plays out in this design, it did answer those questions for me. So I, that's why I absolutely certainly loved it because it left no doubt in my mind. It answered all of those questions for me throughout the entire episode. See, and I think that's one of the great things about the episode is two people can walk away from it with two different reasons, uh, two outcomes, and have perfectly valid arguments for both. Agreed. And there's, in my opinion, not enough good science fiction that does this. Yeah. Uh, there's not enough science fiction in the world that causes great debate after watching it. This is definitely going to be an episode that I think is going to be reviewed and talked about and, you know, I, I, I sense that it's probably also going to be one that people either love it or hate it. But I, I, it's just, it, it's going to be one that's going to be hanging around for a long time Yeah, as up there in the echelons of this is an example of how to do this right. I mean... Or for some an example of how to do it wrong. Or, or for some an example of how to do it wrong. <laughs> if you're on the hated side. Of Although, from what I've argument. seen from social media, I haven't seen any hateds. Really? Yeah. But then again, I haven't went to a Royals game. I was, <laughs> I was in Kansas City for five hours. <laughs> well, what did the Royals feel? How did they think of this episode? They just kept saying, singing the song Royals. I, <laughs> I, um, I did a little... Uh, once again, the episode just... 
it built upon itself with the surprise revelations when we wind up. There were up, so many gasp moments for me. Yeah. Where I the pieces we, we, of like, oh, wow. When we wind up at the children's home and the doctor says, well, you were plugged into the TARDIS. You obviously had to have been here once upon a time. She's like, no. He was so certain of himself. And I'm sitting there going, I think Clara would know if she was yeah. at this home. And I love the exchange of, should I meet myself? No, you really shouldn't. That's a bad idea. I, and ahead. how the, the, real, the sudden realization of that was such a doctor moment, too. And it was great to have Capaldi finally get one of those that really, for me, just solidified that he was in there. Because he was all like, come on, let's go. Should I meet myself? No. No, you shouldn't. See, that's a bad, you I know, and you just, a, that reverse gear thing. That's a trait of this doctor, though, because I, when, when, it, I never saw 10 and 11 for sure, for certain, go into something and go, oh, wait a minute, you know, and <laughs> second guess himself. You just didn't see that happen. They yeah. may still go into danger or still more do the thing, but they know full well that they shouldn't be doing it. The thing I love about well, uh, they question themselves every now and then. But I mean, the normally thing that I love about with... Capaldi is it's like he, he's he's so full-blown into doing something, he, he genuinely forgot. Oh, yeah, no, you don't want to do... It was... We had that same instance uh, last week with... Um, shoot. Uh, with the, the whole, why would the villain create <laughs> an adversary? And he... It, it's it, I love that element of, of Capaldi's doctor. The fact that it's... It's, most of these guys are thinking five steps ahead. Most of these doctors aren't. He's thinking is he's in the he's in the moment, he's so and I in the love moment. that. Yeah. I love that about the twelfth doctor. Um, yeah, it seems like we had something like that in Into the Dalek as well, but I can't remember what. Well, the whole idea of plugging his own uh, uh, brain into the Dalek so that he could convince the Dalek that he can be good, not remembering that hey, I'm the biggest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dalek hater that there is out there. I mean, it's like, and he, it's, it's another one of those realizations of, oh wait, no, look past that. No, that's not. You don't know. Like, every, every show we've had, I, there's, obviously there's one in Deep Breath, but I can't think about it. But um, well, there's the moments where he thinks he's so right about the me- the message in the newspaper. And yeah, there's that, that too. I mean, yeah. it's just I'm that's loving this. Line, that's one of the things that I'm taking away from the Twelfth Doctor. Um, I think the relationship between the Doctor and Clara finally has leveled, and we, this is the this is the Doctor that we're going to have, and the relationship we're going to have between the two. I think we've seen glimpses of that for the last three stories, but I think this one really kind of solidified that. Just how their relationship. This, is, this was know? definitely. A, I still don't know if I like kind of the snide comments he makes about her appearance. Like, because like like Lisa pointed out last week, and it wasn't until she pointed it out that how he kind of cuts her down every chance he, he gets. Of, yeah, here's the deal. I, yeah, but I, she's slapping him every. <laughs> I, I, I agree. She I, doesn't take every crap fifth for minute. It, so. I, I personally don't like that he he's cutting her down, but I'm rationalizing that with he'd be doing that to anybody. Yeah, I it's, yeah, it's not so much that it's directed at Clara as it is. It's directed at whoever happens to be standing in front of him. Yeah. Because we're all pudding heads. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless uh, of who yeah. happened I, I, I to be there. I think it's just until I see him do that to other people more, I will become more comfortable with it. Yeah. It's it's not until that happens that it's not just Clara that he's picking on. But um when when he when he arrived and um you know, she's arguing with him about I think I'd know if I was here Mel and I by both at the same time gasped went <gasps> they went to Danny's because she was distracted, that's what the TARDIS locked it onto. Oh, so yeah. you know, we were there with that. It's like, oh, this, oh, this is going to have bad written all over. So then, we wind up in the future with the astronaut in the restaurant. I was like, wow, didn't see that coming. But okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And then to further one up it with this little kid crying in the barn, and and we were both like, 
what is going on here? And then the, he's never going to be a Time Lord. And we went, Ugh, just, <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, and, and, and realizing that that barn is the barn that well, yeah, and then that the was the further moment the, yeah, is to, when, when we got that flashback. It's taking the moment to. I don't think that was self-serving at all. I think that was genius to. Well, I don't know about you guys. Do you guys kind of wonder what that barn was in Day of the Doctor? Like after the fact, after we got over gushing over. You didn't think much it? about it, but now that they did that, I went. Why, I, why didn't I th- think th- of that? Part of me did after I've analyzed every other bit of the, <laughs> the amazingness that is the day of the doctor. That's the kind of part I was like. I, I, I did. Well, what? I think probably on the third or fourth viewing, it was like, what, why do they have these rusty blade instruments hanging what, what, out? What, in the, what, it almost looks like a barn. Is, what is this thing out here? Because they don't grow crops there. Because they don't really explain where it's at. <laughs> it's a desert. What it is. I mean, it's, yeah. Also, we don't the, know if it is Gallifrey or not. Certainly something that I took away from this, too, was that. The Doctor and the Master probably would have ended up on on the same course because, in my opinion, this is the moment. This is probably the night after he looked into the intempered schism. And the reason I picked up on that is because when they show his eye, when the child opens his eye, and you see like the infinite space and and whatnot in it, I think part of that harkened back to me of that reaction that that the Master has when he looks in as a child in in. Sound of Drums when they show the flashback. And part of my thought process is that it's really Clara that kept him from going insane and put him on course to be a Time Lord, whereas the Master, if he'd had somebody like that or somebody to plant that seed, would have been an entirely different person or an entirely different Time Lord. So At least up until the High Council sent the drum signal back through the untempered schism <laughs> and caused him to go insane. Well, but, yeah, that's certainly true, too. But, another um, self-perpetuating loop. I, just, I love that. I, I love the idea that, that, that you know, the Doctor could have been a different man had Clara not been there, had the Terridus not brought her. It does, it does, the one thing in the back of my mind that bothered me a little bit was the idea of the fact that the Tardis was able to bring Clara there because we're kind of we're getting around that issue that we had with the fact that they were all able to show up at that barn in the first place is because it should be part behind that time lock. <laughs> but at least they referenced it in in the fiftieth. Well, when, when one of the characters says we shouldn't be able to be here, this yeah. is all. And so we, apparently we, we you can, can get through there. Well, we can chalk that up to well, they've got Bad Wolf with them, who is you know all the power of the time vortex <clears> or whatever you want to call it, and the moment allowed them to come in. Okay, fine. There's no deus ex machina in this one. Here's the no. thing, so, though. That there, there is a line that helps me at least excuse it. What's that? It's the line when they're at the end of the universe and the doctor says, we shouldn't even be here. The safeguards are the off. The safeguards are off. The safeguards, the safeguards must them. have been off on the TARDIS when Sheila arrived, too. Well, it was still off. Yes, I'm saying. They yeah. must have been off when So that's how it could go to Gallifrey. Or if this was Gallifrey, uh, you know, we still I th- don't know where. Th- I thought about that, too, and I kind of thought, wow... That's a really thin. It's a really simple way defense <laughs> that you know. Oh, you're saying the only thing I have to do to defeat a time lock is turn the safeguards off and risk it. Uh, and the, again, the the sci-fi geek in me is going, nah, I don't buy it. The Doctor Who fan in me is going, nah, I don't care. Well, that's I not think, such a big deal. Well, they certainly tel- telepathic circuits. They've written also. off things on a weaker thread. So yeah, <laughs> like, until we get a better explanation, that's the only thing I can go with. But the moment is amazing enough that I can overlook how they got there. Yeah, well, that, that, that one makes sense to me. But this one... No, no, I mean this one here. 
the, the, oh, the, yeah. the, the scene the, of the Clara scene with, the, with the young doctor is awesome okay. enough that I can be like, I don't care how they got there. Thank well, you. Get the actual moment. Uh, that's the what moment. I thought. Not the not, moment. Not, not the, the moment. Moment. Um, not the doomsday weapon. I, I'll be honest though. As soon as I saw it, I thought to myself, "Oh, there's going to be a large chunk of fandom that's going to hate this." <laughs> this is the fact that we showed the doctor as a kid. I mean, we didn't really show him. Well, but and, see, that's the nice and, thing about it. They did such a good job shooting that where yeah. you never got to see him. You saw the eye. You saw his feet, and that's pretty much it. And I, I think the new series has been slowly unraveling threads throughout the. Uh, Virgin New Adventures for for sure, the some of the things that have been placed. But one of the big sticking points about the uh, Virgin New Adventures, and I wish I'd have read Lungborough because I think that part of this comes from there. But one of the things that is a sticking thread about that is the fact that Gallifreyans, that Time Lords, essentially are um, uh, what's the way to say this? They're sterile, essentially, that they have children through the Matrix and that they don't necessarily have a mother and father. And this one kind of perpetuates the idea that there was a natural birth there and that, they, that this is the mom and dad. And, I mean, at least it perpetuates that. It doesn't. They could explain it away, but it seems like, to me, that Moffat was being very careful not to step on any sort of continuity <laughs> in the novels. So much more and then this one... He sort of said, "Well, I'm going to go there." You know, so I, I, without reading much of the new adventures, I don't know uh, much about what I'm talking about. But I think that's going to be one of the things that are going to maybe ruffle a few feathers. Of well, the, even, of the I can see it even, even from the standpoint that if there was some sort of cloned artificial birth, or you know, came from the Matrix or whatever, I would think you would still have a nuclear family unit. That maybe not through natural birth, but just that you know, you would go down to the matrix and get a child and come home with them. But that's <laughs> kind of like, like how they did on Krypton and Man of Yeah, Man it's of like Steel. it's like adoption. It's yeah. We'll take this one. <laughs> this one will work. Um, Share a coke with, and you pull it out. <laughs> I, I I love that I watched this with Holly and Caitlin. And we all went, ooh, ah, wow. And then we got at the end and we all went, yeah, it was a really good episode. And then Caitlin asked one question, and I don't even remember what it was. And it was it was, it was was a strangely worded question. And I said, well, that was clearly, you know, uh, um, Orson was clearly, you know, uh, Danny's at least descendant. And we presume that Clara and him got together and they were the great-great-grandparents. And Holly looked at me and said, wait, what? And so I had to go and explain to them that, because she was confused because she said, she kept saying, what's Clara's timeline, so why would they go to Rupert's past, or why would they go to Danny's past? And I said, well, number one, they're linked because eventually they're going to end up together. And I said, number two, it's because she was distracted by the phone call, so that's why the TARDIS kind of got thrown off a bit, yeah. because that's what she was thinking of at the time. And she says, well, okay, but I didn't understand why it went to there. And I said, well, because... They were setting up, it was, it was looking, the doctor in his, I love how the very, as I was defending this scientific doctor last week, this really became <laughs> the, the science episode of him, uh, you know, postulating a hypothesis in order to conclude on a theory. But I love the, uh, but, but anyway, she says, um, she says, well, wait a minute, but it was, and I said, well, because the doctor was looking for that moment that had happened for Clara so that he could go see what it really was because he now has postulated the theory that there is something really there. It's just perfected hiding. 
So we got to go there to do this experiment. And what happened was they got thrown off because it went to Danny's past and not Clara's past. But there was still that instance, so he was able to observe uh, what was going on and do his experiment. So then she was like, well, then how does that make them, how does it make um, Orson their descendant together? And I said, well, I think it comes back to the very line that, oh, it was, Caitlin's question was about why time travel was in his blood. And I said, well, it goes back to that idea where he says time travel is in his blood. And then she, Clara questions it, and he says, well, it's really kind of a story. And Oh, I never, I didn't make that connection. That was him saying that his great-great-grandmother was a time traveler. And that's why it was in his blood. Or, or at least told them fantastical stories. Well, that's, and that's, that, that's why, that's why he, when he drops the, well, it was really a story. I don't think anybody in their lineage believed that wholeheartedly it was true. But at least in the back of their mind... You know, maybe there is some element of truth to this. And so I said, so that solidified the fact, to me anyway, that her and Danny end up together and they have, you know, descendants. And one of which turns out to be uh, Orson, who ends up becoming the first time traveler, because that's what they said. And and I said, the idea, and she said, well, why is he at the end of the universe? And I'm like, did you not watch the episode? <laughs> I said, they said clearly, but of course, Caitlin talks through the whole thing, so I can see where people get thrown off. But anyway, she says... I said, they said in that little thing when the doctor was talking about Orson's past, he said he was meant to only go a week ahead as, a, as the first time traveler, as, you know, the kind of their experiment, and it ended up sending him to the end of the universe and the end of time, the, the end of everything. And I said he was tr- stuck there, and it just happened to be by luck, or maybe not luck or chance, that Clara and the doctor were able to go there and rescue him. And so it completely unraveled everything for both her, her and Caitlin, and I thought... Did I miss something here? Maybe I didn't. But now, then, listening to you guys and seeing all the things online, I realized that I was more on task than the, than the girls were. So, but I thought that was really strange that they got something completely different out of it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was even on accident because the doctor was following the telepathic circuits more, and so it makes sense that it would go well, to. It's accidental in the sense that Clara was disrupted during his original experiment. Well, yeah, but it's. But still the accident. For, for Orson, it's accidental. <coughs> for Team Tardis, it's not. No, that <laughs> it is an accident that they show up there to save him because had they gone to Clara's past, oh, they okay. wouldn't necessarily yeah. have gone on that course in order to be there to rescue yeah, him that, in the that, future. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, At I, some point, okay. it's accidental. It's not by them because, yeah, then it's designed because that that's where the TARDIS is sending them. Because, yeah, because it's already set on the pink path. Right, exactly. And I think it even it even sets up the At idea that... At some point that, in the past, the timeline skews into this tangent to me. <laughs> it even sets up the idea that even if they don't wind up together, as long as Danny gets on board the TARDIS and goes on a couple adventures, it still winds out just fine. I think it works either way. Yeah, it really does. It is, it's it's, it's set up as well. Yeah. And then it's e- in his blood. E- even if he just travels with them for a few stories and goes back and lives a normal life and tells the stories to his kids and whatnot. It still works. Well, yeah. And, it, and, it, and I love that it's they the use the, the little... grandmother, though. Is the I, use the, I like the idea that they use the little the trinket that, you know, and, and Danny, or uh, Orson ends up having well, it, and that's that such nice a preserved great, box. And I was like, wow. It's such a cool message, too, for the... for uh, and fitting for this show that it's the ultimate soldier that doesn't need a gun. Yeah. That doesn't need a weapon. That's what this show kind of is. 
90 percent of the time the spaceman is actually or uh, dan the army man is actually um dan the spaceman for the doctor so yeah it's, it's there's so much in this in time folding upon itself which we've talked about for a long time and somebody probably brought up that that's the moffat effect well we've seen that for a long time yeah moffat loves to play with time folding on itself and the, the idea that the doctor planted the encouraging statement in Clara's mind to tell to him when she goes back and sees him as a child, that was pretty cool. And the I, fact that she was the one under the bed. Wow. I, 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 I loved mom. the... She was the and the look on her face. That's the it. Look when, on her face when, when she, she reaches out and realizes what she just did. She realizes that moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> It's going to be really hard for them to top this episode, the rest of the series, even with Cybermen coming back. But you know, I, here's the thing, though. I, with this episode, I'm, I'm actually. I, I, last week, I you know I talked about how we didn't need a breather. Um, that the you know the brevity wasn't quite there yet. That we did, but now looking back to the four we've gotten, I really kind of feel like it's pacing out well. And I really almost hope that it looks like it will be. The time heist, and at least the next episode will be just kind of fun romps. You know they, what I mean? Kind of I hope like they them. will be, and then we get another one of these type of uh, listen stories soon after that. Before we lead into the big, you know, uh, whatever's happening at the end with with uh, paradise or uh, heaven or that's one thing I appreciated also land. about this episode was there's no promised land, no or promised heaven land. or Missy in this episode. Nobody died. That's true. They didn't need to. <laughs> Everybody lives. Everybody lives. Just this once. Just this once. Now, I'm going to go into the doctor's wardrobe for just a moment. Because... I'm he, liking the new shirts underneath. He, 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 he wore the same thing both in the past and the future. So that theory is now but, shot. Well, <laughs> just maybe he's done with the white. Out, 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 out the window altogether. What exactly was he wearing? It, it looked like a black shirt to me. It That's what I well, thought. It, it was. At one point, when he's in the thing, it's, it, it has kind of like sparkles on it. Did you notice that? Because I thought it looked so like a So it's definitely a different it. shirt from last week. Oh, yeah. It's not purple. Last week's, yeah, whatever color it was. Yeah. but It was black this week. I thought it was black, but it almost didn't look like it was a collared shirt. It almost looked more like a... Uh, yeah, it, was, it was a jumper. Just yeah. like a, a, a t-shirt. But like it had... A, when he was in the TARDIS and, and, and it was reflect Like, light was reflecting on me. It actually, like... It, uh, I, I hesitate to say sequins because they weren't that bad. <laughs> it almost looked like glitter spread throughout the shirt. And I thought, well, that's a little Ziggy Pop there, but... Or Ziggy probably, Stardust, I guess, that, is what that, I'm That was probably for, production saying, if you wear black on black, we can't even hold any definition. <laughs> No, I bet Capaldi said, I want some sparkle. <laughs> Can I go home and bedazzle this? <laughs> Give it a little bling. I love the moment at the end when she hugs him. <laughs> she, the, the, everything kind of, the real, it was almost like that was the realization for her. She was like, this just happened. Oh. <laughs> and then she gives a big nanny. Well, she gives a big nanny hug. Because now she's been a and nanny she's for him. <laughs> so great with kids throughout this episode oh, too. Oh man, when she's so. talking to Rupert and she's trying and they to crawl under the bed together. Yeah. And... Well, I like when when and after wow, does everything that backfire. after everything has happened. Still, that's, oh, that's I love that after everything has happened, she's handling it with kid gloves and trying to trying to bring him down yeah. 
And 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 the doctor is like saying things that are like, well, now you know, it's got counter to what she's trying to do. And she finally slaps him on the back of the head. Well, what? Not helping. <laughs> but and the hug, going back to the hug real quick, it's almost like this moment is when she truly embraces that this is the doctor again. Like, because she's still been kind of standoffish in the last several episodes. Mm-hmm. And this, it almost seems like she embraces that this, yes, this is still the same guy. There are many moments in this. Kind of like I I, I said, that this is kind of, for me, the one that really solidified Capaldi is the Doctor. I don't know why it took so long, because he had elements of him there. But I I said early that my Doctor's in there somewhere. I just haven't quite found him yet. And here he is. Because the, the Clara moment, when she accepts him, because of the... The, the interaction that he had with Rupert as a kid was wonderful. That was a great speech. And, and, and just that he wasn't... That he put aside the gruff pudding brain for just a moment to to get down and, and, and identify with this, this scared kid and did it in such a way that it was so magnificent. And, and and the moment outside with the no no you really don't want to meet yourself and it just there there were a lot of those things that were sprinkled throughout here that really kind of said okay yeah he's back you know this is not that he went anywhere anyway but this it just finally got there for me. Um, I love the flashbacks to the classic series. I like the Doctor waking up and saying Santarin's preventing the course of human history to Orson, which was the line <laughs> that he says. At the beginning, or not the beginning, but in Robot, when he's yeah. coming, coming to. Um, See, and I almost wondered if that was a, uh, a Doctor Who legacy joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, and I didn't, I, that one I recognize, this one I didn't see until later, that he states there's nothing to hear, not a click or a tick. And that's actually a third Doctor line from the Death from Death of the Daleks, which oh. didn't, didn't, didn't occur to me. So. Huh. And then the final line, obviously, um, which somebody had alluded to in feedback, the fear makes companions of us all, which is um, from an unearth- unearthly child. And then oh, and she pa- follows that up with... the one day you're going uh, to come back. Yeah. Well, and she, I love that she, she picks up on ne- never... Uh, uh, what's the line? From Day of the Doctor. Never cowardly, yeah. never cruel. Never cowardly, never cruel. I love that she, she... It's almost like she takes and bookends her yeah. statement from one end to the other. So that was really cool, too. Of course, I'm I, I'm just I'm a geek. I'm gonna eat that stuff up. You can throw <laughs> that stuff in there. I mean, last night, last week, I, you know, just gushed all over the the callbacks and and I I love that they're not they're not slap you in the face kind of things. That they're really kind of subtle and enough that if a, if you are a new fan to Doctor Who, you don't have to have seen any of the classic series to appreciate these. But Moffat's again because he's a fanboy himself is is adding well these and even. Not even if you don't know what the references are to, it just gives a sense that there's a depth and a history to this character. Whenever there are callbacks, maybe, or but I think I think the, the things that we I don't think, get to see. I think the things that he says, though, and in, in, in the ways that he says them, unlike a callback in some of the previous series that we've seen, where as a viewer, if I were a new viewer, it would I would feel like, well, I must have missed something. That must be something. These are lines that are are put in there yeah, in a such more, a way that yeah. it's like I, if I were a new viewer, I wouldn't even have second guess. You know why he said something, or and like even the miniscope line. We must be inside of a miniscope. He he doesn't he doesn't say 
I mean, they, they never have gone this far, but it's not like a miniscope. I've been there before. You know, it's it's yeah. it's it, we're inside a miniscope. And for the most part, I and think so most a new viewer them, just goes, "Well, there must be something called a miniscope." And I think for the most part, even previous seasons did the same kind of name dropping. Yeah, I think Callbacks. they were a little more heavy-handed, though. They might have been, yeah, depending really on depending on the episode. I like, think they're more subtle in this in the new series. You know what I want to know? What? Thank you. I was <laughs> concerned that you were just going to leave that hanging and not go anywhere with it. I, 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 I expect you to just keep going anyways. <laughs> Sometimes you need a setup. Okay. What? What, Sean? What do you want to know? Maybe I'll see if it ringing. No. Just me? Okay. Um, oh, God, I forgot the name of the race. Uh, Draconians. <laughs> Every every with with every Capaldi story I see, I am more and more convinced that I want Draconians to make a return to the show. <laughs> I think they would pair up so well. Well, and and I want David Warner to play the lead Draconian. <laughs> oh, and you can have it do because it's, he's under makeup. That's my that's my wish list right now. <laughs> huh. well, and, and we've talked about previously, and as I think it was Mark pointed out that other episodes were kind of. This, he was kind of like this doctor. He was kind of like this doctor in those. I didn't feel anybody but him in this yeah, story. I, I didn't feel any callbacks this story. Yeah. Okay. Even yeah. with the, the, the and, line drops. Personal, like, yeah. yeah. The way he behaved, it yeah. wasn't any callbacks. I'm fine with the callbacks. I'm fine with the callbacks, especially when the doctor's starting out. Um, well, it, it, it's really cool to see those. You never saw anybody else but Matt Smith eventually. You never saw anybody else but David Tennant eventually. Yeah. Even though we knew all of the callbacks at that point. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm, surpri- glad, I'm, I'm glad surpri- that we finally hit an episode where you didn't go, "Hey, that was very t- uh, that Peter was, Davis." Yeah. That was very Paul, uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah, he was a, <laughs> he was one of the doctors. Wait, excuse me, he was a Beatle. <clears throat> and it may go back to it later in the season, but yeah, I, I don't know that they will. Though. I don't know either. It, it, it's, I'm just, they have to I'm, now. I'm just saying it's possible. Yeah. Well, and we might see something later on in the series. Go, hey, well, that was and, very thoughtful. And things could just. It, and it could just be thematically. Yeah. We could be putting it on the episode more than they are intending. This is interesting. On, on Imdaba, apparently Listen holds an average score of 9.3, making it the third highest rated Doctor Who episode ever behind Moffat's The Day of the Doctor and Blink. Wow. So, <clears throat> it'll be curious to see when everybody kind of weighs in on this this week to see where it lands. Well, it'll be interesting once we get another updated ultimate list <laughs> to see where it places. It'll land in the top five. That'll give Moffat three in the top five. Radio Times calls it the most conceptual episode in the entire history of Doctor Who. And, and further went to state, you're blowing our minds, Moffat. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I really, really liked was with the final words that that Clara imparted onto him with listen the the next sound was the TARDIS taking off mm. and and for me that that was an added little you know of, of all the things that I've just told you that are important this is the most important noise and it's the parking brake yeah <laughs> I still choose to ignore the parking brake idea but the uh, the I love the uh, when Orson asks Clara if they're in any danger, and she says, I don't know, and then the cloister bell goes off. Oh, the cloister oh, yes. bell. What a great callback that one was. Wow. That was so cool. 
Because as a Doctor Who fan, that's when I was thinking, are they in any danger? Are they? Oh, oh. Oh, they are now. Cloister <laughs> Bell, they're in danger. <laughs> that does it for me. Which is interesting, considering there's nothing there. It's just the heating ducts popping. And the, the, but why is the Cloister Bell going off? The Cloister Bell went off because they. I think the TARDIS knew where they were going next. Which would have been the doctor's bedroom. Or wherever uh, that was. Yeah. Maybe we're going to ricochet off the time lock and wind up <laughs> somewhere else. No, I said they think that the, well, the cluster bell obviously was for drama because they're trying to convince you that there is still some monster coming. <laughs> but I think that that's ultimately what happens is the cluster bell realized where we were going next before Clara even knew where it was going. Well, Clara didn't even know until she stepped out. Well, no, she didn't even Clara didn't even know until she, she got under the, the bed. bed. <laughs> That was Mel's problem. Is that she? So we, we we get the emergency takeoff and we go, and we're flying the TARDIS and we land, and she looks outside and it's somewhere different. Okay, mission accomplished. <laughs> and then she goes outside and Mel's like, "Why? Why would you go out there? You you know you're different. You're okay for right now. Leave the door shut. Would you go out there?" I was like, "Yeah, I probably would." Why? You gotta go out there and see if you're home. It's well, what you do are at home. <laughs> You don't check the scanner. She you just do. go outside. Just go outside. <laughs> she tried to check the scanner. Scanner was was That's true. Was That's true. She couldn't look outside with, to see what the doctor was looking because the scanner was wigging out. And I get the impression when she landed, she looked at the scanner again, and it still had that like glitching. Just, just once, just 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 for sheer comedic effect, for no other reason, I would like to see the doctor throw open the doors to the TARDIS. Grab the companion, take two giant strides outside, realize there's no air on this planet, fall down, collapsing, gasping, and crawl back to the ship <laughs> and go, wow, I really should start checking the instruments before we go out. <laughs> just once. Just for the sake of the science of it. I also really like the bit where the doctor's kind of chastising Clara about... If you don't want danger, you can't travel with me anymore. That that line that he gave her was, "Well, if if then then you need to go home. If you're not going to do what you're told, then see, I I took that differently. I I thought it was a yeah. If you're not going to do as you're told, or if you're not going to let me do what I want, you're you're going to go if, home. If you're not going to let me be in danger, there's no point yeah. Okay, you that's what you meant. You yeah, said that's that. what I mean. Okay, I you you said there was no danger, and then I thought, well, yeah. I... She's all fine with danger. It was just that he looked like he was putting his life in danger, and she didn't want that. And That's if you're, if you're not if you're not willing for me to be in danger, you're not have yeah. a place here. It was just kind of I did not expect that line to come out of his no, mouth. No, and, and it was, it was another like, one of those wow, prickly oh. moments for the doctor that I. But as soon as he said it, I thought, oh, that's what everybody's going to zero in on this week that aren't liking the doctor. <laughs> but you know, I I, I like the fact it, that that was, was immediately followed with go go to the TARDIS, go get inside because he's concerned for her safety. Yeah. yeah. Well, not to because, mention yeah. that she then turned the the tables on him because he said he what he tell her how how do you exactly say uh, do as do as you're told and that's what really hit home with me like oh wow ouch. But then when she goes, don't go out those doors. Don't look on the, don't look at the instruments. Promise me you'll promise never, me you'll look. never go look. And then she says, "Do as you're told." She says that well, exact he, line. I don't take orders. Do as you're told. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. T- that's what it was. I don't take orders. Do as you're told. And so it turned it around, and I thought, oh, you know what? That kind of balanced everything out. Well, me. and <laughs> and and I like how, how how many times before have we praised on Clara that she does what the doctor says? Stay here. Oh wait, you actually stayed here. 
And this is an instance where she's kind of not doing what he's saying she should do, where he she always has before. So it, that was also why I was okay with him kind of being prickly about the whole situation. It's interesting, too, from the standpoint that the TARDIS has really come a long way in its relationship with, with Clara, that we're, we've moved from, I don't like you. To stick your hands in my console. And, and fly, you know. Yeah. yeah, I'm okay with this. And, you know, maybe now that the TARDIS has got the impossible girl wrapped up and knows the debt that is that is owed there, it's like, all right. I, I wonder how begrudging it is or if it's kind of like, you know, the puppy that you finally won over <laughs> that stopped biting you and was like, Okay, you're, you're you're pretty all right. Well, and we don't know what all happened when they came out of the time stream and whatnot before the fiftieth, and because she was clicking to close the door in the fiftieth, so obviously something happened to put her in good graces between. Rings uh, of Name of the Doctor. Because they were still kind of prickly there, I thought. Oh, really? I don't remember. Oh, I, I think it was the saving the doctor well, at the I, end of the game of the doctor. But, but <laughs> seeing that, I'm yeah, just saying. The TARDIS clearly did not want them to go there. Yeah. <laughs> and they went there anywhere, anyway, and Clara saved him, so maybe the TARDIS forgave her. Like, oh, oh or, or knowing that whatever came out was no longer this weird anomaly mystery, and it, she was okay to be on the TARDIS. Hey, that supports my theory that. All of that was done in the past, splintered Clara, and there was no residuals after that. I think she's still part of her remembers. I don't think so. I'll have to go back and watch it. I don't think that, I don't know. I, I, I don't think she remembers it vividly. I think she knows kind of the faces, but she doesn't know everything she did. That I would buy, because if she was splintered into so many different pieces and so many different parts and so many different timelines, I think she would recall some of it, but maybe not the specific... She would recall the event, but not the specifics of it. And I don't think that she will ever truly recall being a Dalek. Oh, I, no, I, I, I think that even if she could remember that... She was so convinced that she wasn't. That well, yeah. It'd but, be really well, hard and, to... And, and well, almost, I, I think even her brain would kind of go, nope, walling that off, <laughs> not going to talk about well, it. Well, it almost comes across that she knows all the Doctor's faces just from being in the main time stream. Like the the non the non splintered her that got sent down to the bottom to meet John Hurt saw all the other faces that she was going down to. I I, I could take that away from just that scene. We're gonna have to agree to disagree. <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna stick with the theory that she doesn't remember anything until well, and that's that's the she doesn't know everything because when you do that she knows the when faces. you do that even if she remembers little things then it starts to unravel things that have happened so. Like being so upset over the fact that she changed. That I think changed. Lisa nailed that on the head, saying how she fancied the doctor in time of the doctor. And now he's changed. She's having a rose moment. <laughs> Best companion ever is human, after all. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got coming up on the schedule, Sean? Well, next week for Friday Night Who on the 19th of September, we are doing The Time Meddler with William Hartnell. Uh, followed by our talk of next week's episode, Time Heist. We have no idea if these two will match up together or not. This week certainly did not. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing matched up with this week. Eh, you know. 
He wins some. That's all. That's, <laughs> but he haven't won any yet. <laughs> hey, now we had a Dalek episode paired up with a Dalek episode. Yes, we did. We did Time of the Doctor right before Deep Breath. But, uh, but I think we did the wrong Dalek episode. Even though I'm the one that pushed for. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, Dalek was his best. Well, but it also would have been one that we've done recently. No, I think Dalek or the Daleks. Both no, of those the Daleks. Played. But that was too long. Yeah, that was a two. <laughs> but it would have played. A, did you know there are seven parts <laughs> to that story? <laughs> On and on. Seven. <laughs> it takes longer to watch. I think our serendipity um, capacity has been met. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, following week, we've got school reunion, and then the caretaker. I'm willing to bet those two are going to match up. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm really curious to know if this is going to work or not. <laughs> Beginning of October, Planet of Fire. And kill the moon. Who knows? Who? Maybe they'll knows. Kill the moon with fire. Then it would be a planet of fire. It'd be a moon of fire, but you're such a Pluto hater. <laughs> Pluto's a micro planet. Okay, so, no, we're not going to go down this road because I know that you happen to agree with me that Pluto should be a planet. I, I got into this discussion with somebody. It's a microplanet. Oh, so what you're saying is by definition it's still a planet. It's just smaller. It's Ironically, I just saw the episode of Big Bang where uh, I just blanked on his name. Uh, Sheldon? Leonard? The scientist who... Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yeah. Uh, was on the show and was like, for the record, I had nothing to do with Pluto being demoted. <laughs> good. I can put him back in my good graces. <laughs> that it? Yeah, that's as far as that as I think I'm going to go for now. Well, we and should course, mention that uh, Patreon's still out there. We're still soliciting some uh, and thank subscribers. You. And thank you, Who Brannigan, for uh, donating to the cause. We certainly appreciate it. We're still shopping servers around. <laughs> <laughs> we got some bad news tonight, but we won't hear we, that. <laughs> we, we, we thought we had a really awesome deal, yeah, and then it, it turned out to not so be We're still working so awesome. on that. So but we're working on it. If you want to... Throw a few dollars our way each month. We'd appreciate that. Just like Shatner's book. We're working on that. <laughs> um, and, of course, you can contact us on Twitter and Facebook and all of those good places. You can buy from our uh, Amazon store online, or you can also buy a Traveling the Vortex shirt at our Spreadshirt store. So links to those are on the website, TravelingTheVortex.com. How long does it take to get one of those shirts, Glenn? I have no idea. Because I was thinking about ordering one for uh, TopCon. Well, you should probably should order a week or two. But I realized that TopCon is next on. week. <laughs> Speaking of TopCon, um, we are uh, going... Sean and I are going to be there. Keith has um, putzed out on us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I'm, no, I'm, he's, I'm just going he's to... Going, he, he's he, going to a family he, reunion. He teased you last week. I thought I had to do it this week. Um, so we'll be at TopCon, and we're excited, and, and there's lots of things. If you're going to be in the Topeka area, If you please, are in the come. area, come meet two-thirds of the podcast. <laughs> That's right. I, I will say that they have completely now closed uh, registra- uh, pre-registration. Uh, it's done. It's mm-hmm. over. It ended at midnight Friday night. And they soon will be opening pre-registration for 2015. So that tells you how well this is oh. doing. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the Gypsy, I have it from good authority. The Gypsy is already planning a three-day event for next year. So, and this awesome. one hasn't even happened. So, terrific, terrific. 
It's something that um, Topeka has needed for a long, long, and, long and sep- time. It's good for September too. It's kind of a downtime yeah. in the area for cons. That's true. That's true. yeah. Crypticons next month, isn't it? No, it was last month. It was last month. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was in August. Oh, how did I miss that? I don't know. What's the one? It is next month. I don't like that one. Well, Connex would have been, but they still haven't regrouped. That's that's the one. So that's that's one October, isn't it? Yeah, Connex. And you're right; they aren't doing one this year. So, I keep hearing there's going to be a slash and bash. <laughs> we'll find out. All right, I think we've got everything out of the way. So, if that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm hiding under your bed. <laughs> I'm Keith. Cheers. Gotcha. Be seeing you. Listen. Do you want to know the secret? Promise not to tell Whoa, whoa, closer Let me whisper in your ear Say the words you long to hear You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Do you promise not to tell Whoa, whoa, closer